major physical event that happens, childbirth, obviously. But it's not like Rambo or anything. It's like just sort of... (laughs) (laughs) In first blood. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 13. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, we got a bunch to cover today, uh, especially in the update category. Wouldn't you say, Justin? Oh, yeah. Updates galore. Let me set the scene. Um, like on Monday or Tuesday, we were driving in the car and in the morning we got a phone call and uh, it was the doctor at Kanazawa University Hospital. And he told us that because of coronavirus, we're going to have to push that C-section back by a couple of days. And wow. it's not our coronavirus, and it's not even any patient's coronavirus at the hospital. It's just that coronavirus has taken off with the Omicron variant in Japan just in these last right. few weeks. And that has sort of raised the alarm at the hospitals. So huh. they began... Uh, rescheduling and restaffing and shifting doctors from this place to that to try and make sure that all their bases are covered for a possible influx of patients. And in this sort of scramble to, you know, readjust themselves, um, it somehow affected the uh, C-section schedule. So Hmm. uh, I think I talked about it last time. Our original schedule was my wife would go in on February 4th to be hospitalized. That's now become February 7th. Hmm. And um, the C-section was originally scheduled for February 8th. That has now become February 10th. And then, of course, there's like a plus six uh, days for when um, someone is released from the hospital after giving birth. So now it's gone from the six, uh, from the 14th rather to the 16th. So everything got shoved back by two or three days. And it's kind of a uh, coronavirus precautionary measure. Gotcha. Yeah, because we've been kind of blowing up around here especially compared to how the other regions generally do. We, we're we generally lower with mm-hmm. coronavirus infections, but now it's kind of getting a little out of hand. So I understand their, their caution. Yeah. It's interesting because um, you, you think of your birthday as a, a big thing, you know, it's my birthday. Mm. And I feel like they're just playing fast and loose with this baby's birthday. <laughs> he was, you know, scheduled for the, well, the due date was the 25th. Right. Uh, make it the 8th. No, I better make it the 10th. And it's kind of <laughs> flying all over the place. And I realized the birthday is much less important than like sort of the schedule and the safety of the, the delivery. But yeah. um, it's like we are getting mentally prepared for this date and then that date and then another date. And that's where hmm. we are right now. So I'm also, I'm only half convinced that it's all going to happen according to plan. Um, yeah, at this point, it seems <laughs> like they could yeah. just change it on you in a second. Yeah. And there are another few interesting uh, things about this. One is that we have to go to the hospital three days early. Um, Now, it used Mm. to be four days early. Now it's three days early. Uh, For the C-section, my wife will have to be admitted to the hospital. And this is also a coronavirus um, precaution. So step one, when we arrive on the 7th, is take a PCR test. So do you have Corona? Do you not have Corona? And it said, okay. uh, they said that they'll take between one and two hours to get the results of that PCR test. And hmm. during which time we'll chill in the lobby. Is this for just her or are you taking it too? Uh, I, ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I thought it was just for her. Um, okay. But uh, my job on day one is really just to, to drive her there and then to like carry the suitcase up to the room. I don't know right. if the carrying of the suitcase will necessitate a clear PCR test or not. Um, I've never been uh, like hmm. PCR tested before, so this could be a whole new experience for me. Super fun. Yeah, it sounds that way. <laughs> it seems like a good time. Um, but that's uh, that's an interesting thing because it's like, you know, uh, good luck getting in. And right. it's weird because you go, you know, you're thinking C-section, 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 but this PCR test could totally derail it. And mm. what happens if uh, my wife happens to test positive for coronavirus is that she can no longer go to the hospital that we've been planning to go to because they don't have the system <laughs> like in place. like the baby's just going to wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have the system in place, I guess, to like do a C-section for a coronavirus uh, Wait, you guys are going person. to the biggest hospital in that area. 
Yeah, it's it's a massive. Where else would you go around here? Well, the prefectural hospital is set up for handling oh, coronavirus okay. cases. So, um, if she goes and if she fails the PCR, then it's like, all right, next hospital, and we've got to drive way, way across town, and uh, it's a bit of a worry because it's like hmm. we've we haven't dealt with that hospital whatsoever. Haven't dealt with those doctors, those nurses, don't know the plan, don't know anything about it. But at the last minute, our entire C-section and her hospital stay for 10 days could suddenly shift to this other right. massive hospital in town, which is like a lot farther away. And um, also you would have the added worry, of course, of, oh, she's got coronavirus too. Yikes. So right. uh, it would just be worry on top of worry. So we're hoping that the PCR test is fine and that we can kind of continue as scheduled with the uh, KU hospital. Yeah, hopefully. Anyway, that's our update, um, which uh, it's it's huge because um, what is today? February Fifth. something. Fifth, as we record. This will come out on February 7th. Yep. And that should be the day that she enters the hospital, hopefully, unless they change it again. And then the birth would happen on the 10th, which means by next episode, we'll have... Right. A baby whole new person in the world it's nuts and um we'll have one official j-pop on the j-pops wow it's gonna change the whole concept of the show <laughs> it'll change the dynamic i'm gonna lord it over you for like a month i'm, and I'm a half. half expecting it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i'll i'll start almost everything i say with like yeah well before we had kids uh now that i'm a dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll understand when you have your own kid um that's going to be the nature oh. of the podcast there for a while but um yeah that's that's a bit crazy um can i just say that i hope when i am a dad i don't i don't say that because I feel like that's kind of like the most condescending thing you can say to somebody like, oh, when you're a dad, you'll get it. Yeah. I just yeah. want to punch that person every time I hear that. I'm just like, stop saying that to me. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a dad, you'll learn what it is to care about things, um, <laughs> right. which I'm sure is true to a degree. But yeah, it feels condescending on the other. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just it makes me feel that way. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Well, um, that's the big update. And uh, mm. what about you? Do you have any massive, crazy updates? Not uh, not massive. No, we haven't had a, a visit this past week. We'll have one coming up in a in a few days. Just the same, really. Uh, emotional roller coasters, up and down, lots of baby kicking, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. We had a we had a, a couple interesting emotional events occur. I think Moe's okay with me sharing this because it's it's a little bit funny. But we were out shopping one day and we were taking my truck. And I'm fairly clean, but I, I have a garbage in my truck that I put garbage in. But I drink a lot of canned coffee when I'm out. So I have mm -hmm. a couple empty cans usually floating around. One usually mm -hmm. in the garbage and one usually in like a cup holder or whatever. Which this, this drives Moe crazy on a normal day. But then you add in pregnant Moe and it drives her 10 times crazy. Yeah, it's been mentioned before that Moe is the cleanest, neatest person on the face of the earth. Yes, that is an accurate statement. And it, I'm not messy. I'm not saying like I've got canned coffee like strewn about the floors or tossed in the back. In America, I did. <laughs> but here I haven't done that. So Before you knew better. <laughs> right. So So now they're all kind of orderly but she still thinks i'm just a slob just throwing <laughs> throwing about my garbage all over the place compared to moe we are all slobs that's true that's yeah. true yeah so uh i had these cans in there and uh we were driving around and they got her so angry we actually started fighting about it <laughs> oh god <laughs> and then like which then led to her crying about it because you know that's what happens but at the same time, I don't have any tissues in my car, which mm. is another thing that she's often complained about, about my car. So I've got the canned coffee and now I've got no tissue and she's crying. So it's a bad situation. So we're driving around. I have to stop at a drugstore to go and buy some tissues now to help her because she's crying. So I go inside and I'm looking around and I kind of expected, like I had like some change in my pocket. So I, I figured I was, I was good. Uh-huh. But you get in there and they just sell these big bundles and they're uh, all, yeah. 
they're cheap. It's like 200 yen, but I had 150 yen. Oh, man. So I've got 150 yen in a credit card. And I was like, well, I'd, I'll get yelled at if I use a credit card. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I go back out to the car to ask her for some change to buy the tissues. And she's like, you didn't bring any tissue. I'm like, I need some change. <laughs> <laughs> and she's which, like, you need change. All right. <laughs> which looking back is funny, but at the time it was, it was not very funny for her. So yeah, that's what wow. we've been dealing with. Yeah. I'll, you know, institute the buyer's remorse clause here in case, um, you know, you can run this by her. And then if she decides that the story is best left untold, we can right. give it the snip in post. Right. Sounds good. But, uh, yeah. That's, uh, uh, as we've said before, uh, I think we talked about it a week or two ago. My wife has gotten into like, um, you know, Mario star mode or like she right. found a health pack, you know, so she's like feeling healthier and, and better than ever. Nice. Uh, it's just like the minor things like, you know, like say you need to grab something behind you and you need to rotate your body 90 degrees or whatever, you know, say you're seated and you just need to twist your body or something that's gotten a bit harder, but that's right. as bad as it is, you know? Um, that's pretty good then. Yeah. So that's the only sort of complaints that I hear. And I think that's as bad as it's been. And it's, it's just amazing. How does this not affect her so much? And then some people have the physical ailments. Um, someone in my family had a baby, uh, just a few months ago and, uh, she, from the moment she was pregnant was sick and it lasted the entire time. It was wow. just, it was nonstop feeling horrible. Couldn't keep food down for months and months on end to the point that they had to put, um, they had to put a tube uh, into her stomach directly to like administer medicine um, oh just God. to keep her like sort of, f- just to keep her nausea down. And um, she had to have that sort of like tube for, for months. And uh, it's like, wow, so shouldn't evolution have sorted this out for people by now that Seriously. you can have a kid without? Uh, so I think Ayumi, what I'm saying is she's the peak of evolutionary prowess. She's right. like top she's of the, the food chain. Yeah, she's like the she, goal. You, yeah, you'll have to get the Darwin chart of human evolution and then actually draw her in on the end because she's next level. <laughs> she's got a different number of chromosomes. It's like a totally different thing that we're dealing with. Um, she's nice. the... Uh, She's the Ubermensch, or what's the word for a woman in German? I don't know. <laughs> I have She's no idea. Uberwomensch, I think Womensch. that's the term. We've got mm. an episode title right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, my best to Moe. Uh, I hope she can weather the storm. She's, you know, yeah. just within No, she's fine now. most of the time. It's just, you know, occasionally something will just like randomly set her off. And yeah. it's, I think that's just par for the pregnancy yeah yeah Yeah, it sounds that way um yeah we're we're trying our best to keep a yumi pregnant for the next several years because she just feels so great so you know yeah i mean you find something that works i mean and then just start selling it (laughs) yeah yeah if we could bottle this i don't know right (laughs) uh anyway so those are the updates uh things are more or less handleable yeah um a kind of handleable update is the best update. You know, you don't want anything horrible coming out. Yeah. So I still feel pretty fortunate. That brings us to, if you're ready, the segment. Let's do it. So today's main segment, uh, we didn't really have a big bold thing to to dive into like a massive topic so i flipped through the old what to expect when you're expecting fifth edition and i looked for things that leapt off the page to me as like shocking or something that i didn't know before or something Hmm. that was just really interesting and not not that i'm an expert but at this point you know we've been kind of dealing with pregnancy stuff day in and day out for months on end so for then things to still like really shocked me i thought well this is crazy stuff is this stuff that is kind of tied to the week that you're in or the trimester or just like randomly across the board um i'll say that most of it comes from the chapters on the eighth and ninth month oh you know it might all be from the ninth month chapter so this is later stuff 
Yeah, late stage, fully onset pregnancy is what we're talking here. Okay. Uh, and this is the Western ninth month, which in Japan is the tenth month. So right. last few weeks of the pregnancy. Not confusing at all. Yeah, not at all. And I've got a, a top five. These are the top five things that really still surprised me. Um, I'll go in reverse order. Number five. And the reason this is number five is because we've already talked about it. You brought it up a few weeks ago, the lotus mm. birth, um, which is when they keep the uh, placenta and the umbilical cord attached for like a week or more. Right. It just until it falls off. Yeah. And it's like a whole organ, you know, it's there. I mean, it's probably not technically an organ, but it's th- this thing that you have to keep in a little sack and mm. tote around. They have a, a little blurb about the lotus birth here in the book. But I found something that's connected to the lotus birth, which is just one step below it. And that is uh, the cord clamping. And I don't think this is something that we'll have a say over. But imagine the baby's born. You've got the the newborn right there. Mm -hmm. The question is, do you clamp that cord off immediately, like within seconds? Or do you wait a few minutes to clamp the cord? Do you wait a single minute? Like what is the optimal timing to clamp the cord? I didn't know there was an optimal timing. I didn't either. But there's a section uh, that's called delaying cord clamping. Hmm. And of course, the extreme end of this would be the lotus birth, where you don't clamp that cord at all, and you let it run its course and fall off by itself. And then uh, I guess on the other extreme is baby's out, and within seconds, you clamp and snip that cord. Mm -hmm. There are uh, some like potential benefits to delaying cord clamping. And it's all kind of like... It's a bit up and down. It's this case versus that case. And there are too many extenuating um, variables, I think, to really say this is the moment you must clamp. Because Hmm. if you clamp sooner, it could benefit you in this way, but harm you in this way. If you clamp later, it's shown to benefit in this way, but harm in this other way. That sort of thing. Um, Hmm. But the long and short of it is uh, the World Health Organization, it says here, recommends waiting one to three minutes after birth to cut the umbilical cord. And it says Hmm. most hospitals recognize the benefits of delaying clamping until 60 seconds after birth, even in cesarean deliveries. Uh, But some say there's not enough evidence to recommend delaying beyond the one minute mark. So um, it seems that at least in the West, I'm not sure what the Japanese standard is here, but uh, about like you leave it connected for about a minute. And the thinking is that um, you can see the cord pulse because the cord is, you know, always sort of pulsing the the nutrition and everything the baby needs sure. uh, toward the baby. You can you can continue to see that pulse for a bit after the baby's born. And hmm. uh, the thinking is to let that run its course. I'm curious at this point, does the umbilical cord and the placenta act differently once it's outside of the, the womb? Like, is there is there a reason that 60 seconds, like, does, like, human air like outside air like affect it differently because i'm just thinking like why wouldn't you just keep the baby in there for an extra 60 seconds and then pull it out and do the whole thing oh that's a good question i think um once oh i'm gonna get way out of my depth immediately here it's a very uh, yeah it's a a big question (laughs) yeah well you know once the baby's born whatever um detaches detaches and uh the placenta is no longer like a a viable living thing and even in the case of the lotus birth it only goes about a week before it's all like totally dried up and falls off right so there must be something in utero that's keeping the placenta you know Hmm. alive and functioning and i guess as soon as the baby's born then that begins to cease its function and um i would assume it's something like um Let's say a dog gets hit by a car. (laughs) (laughs) That dog will still kick in a ditch for a while, and then eventually it dies. So I think it's something similar to that. That's what it says in the book here. Uh, So right. (laughs) um, No, it says nothing of the sort. Uh, It's yeah. I I think it's you know it's probably naturally run its course, and there are mysterious natural phenomena taking uh, taking effect that I don't understand, but it is. You know, after the birth, it begins to to die off and dry up and cease to function. Hmm. But it says, okay, a clamping delay after delivery allows the placenta to give a few more pulses of blood to the newborn. And this extra dose of blood can represent as much as 30% of a baby's blood volume. 
uh, and pumping up that blood supply can significantly improve a baby's iron and hemoglobin levels, preventing anemia in the first six months of life. This is 30% more than they had just 60 seconds ago <laughs> so, when they were inside the womb. Yeah. It seems extreme, but I guess That's if the... Crazy. Uh, yeah, if the placenta, maybe the placenta like evacuates itself or something once it's out. I, I don't know the rules here. Huh. Um, but um, Well, I wonder if this is, because we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording and like if a baby breathes inside. Oh, yeah. And I was I was looking it up and it says a baby doesn't breathe, but that when the baby is birthed, they're squeezed and compressed so much all the amniotic fluid goes out of their lungs. And mm-hmm. then when they come into the world, it's just like a shock. Their lungs just automatically expand. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if it's that same kind of thing when the baby's like squeezed and compressed and pushed through. Then suddenly when they're in the world, their maybe blood supply is diminished a little bit and they need that extra pulse. Yeah, maybe the baby just expands out in the out in the atmosphere, out in our world. <laughs> that could be it. It could um, be. Yeah, I think that's firm speculation. That's good. Uh, but yeah, the yeah. the lungs in particular, um, as I understand it, it's like I mean, imagine you've uh, sort of when the baby's born, and that's part of what contractions do as well. The contraction is actually um, emptying out the the baby's lungs it's mm-hmm. one of the functions of the contraction and then the baby's born and passes through like a a tight space and then that's you know further uh cleaning out the the baby's right. lungs and then the lungs are open to then absorb oxygen so this is what happens in a c-section is that a baby doesn't actually pass through a tight space but you know comes out through the incision and so mm-hmm. uh, in Japan, at least after a C-section, from what they've told us, they put the baby in an incubator from the beginning because the lungs oh. aren't like fully where they need to be. So oh. even if the baby's not premature, I mean, I guess, well, nearly a scheduled C-section will always be a few weeks premature, but not premature right. enough, you know. Uh, so it, even uh, like uh, sort of at the end of the natural cycle of pregnancy, a baby who's delivered by C-section will still go into the incubator because the lungs haven't been prepped by the birthing process. So, yeah, all of the steps, I guess, are important. Um, Yeah. But it says also there's a slightly increased risk, about 2% of newborn jaundice in babies whose cord Hmm. clamping was delayed longer than one minute. So it may increase jaundice, but it also increases um, iron and hemoglobin within the baby's blood. Can I just show my ignorance again? I don't know what jaundice is. So I've looked up jaundice here. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is either. And the dictionary definition says um, it's a yellow discoloration of the skin, whites of Mm. the eyes, etc. Due to an increase of bile pigments in the blood, often symptomatic of certain diseases. Uh, And it seems to be relatively common. But uh, what did you find about it? Uh, The What to Expect app says that uh, it occurs in 60% of all babies born full-term and 80% of all babies born prematurely uh, when a chemical called bilirubin builds up in the baby's blood. Oh, old bilirubin. Bilirubin. Bilirubin popping up again. Of course. Uh, yeah, it usually goes away. Or No, it says it shows up in uh, two or three days after birth and usually caught pretty early, so... Okay. Well, apparently in the UK, um, they've noticed an increase in jaundice when cord clamping happens later. So Mm. there seems to be a bit of, uh, you know, back and forth. But onto the extreme end of the spectrum, the lotus birth. Um, I'll just read what the book recommends about lotus birthing. It says, Mm. um, the theory behind the controversial practice of lotus birth, instead of cutting the cord, parents opt to leave the umbilical cord and placenta attached to their baby until it dries out and falls off by itself, a process that can take three to ten or more days. Advocates say this allows the baby to reap the benefit of complete blood transfer from the cord and placenta. The problem is there are no scientific studies on the safety of the practice and experts haven't been reassuring. They say that without active blood circulation, the cord and placenta are essentially dead tissue that will rot. Uh, Bacteria can colonize in the placenta and potentially be a source of infection that can spread to the newborn, which means that lotus birth most likely isn't a sensible trend to embrace and may even be dangerous. So they kind of of shut down lotus birth in the What to Expect When You're Expecting book. 
I have already shut that down in my mind too, just because of how gross it seems. Yeah, it is terrifying. Well, let's move on to please amazing thing number four. And this is more just a vocab word that I learned. This is lanugo. Lanugo. Is that an English word? Yeah, that's an English word. Uh, it's L-A-N-U-G-O, Lanugo. Hmm. And um, it's not too shocking. I've heard about it before, but just the word was interesting to me. It hmm. is fine, downy hair that may cover oh. the shoulders, back, forehead, and temples of full-term babies. It's the hair that grows inside when they're before they're born. Yeah, and why uh, a newborn baby will sometimes be sort of covered in hair. Uh, it gotcha. says this will usually be shed by the end of the first week. And I just thought you would appreciate that as a dog owner. Um, More hair to clean up. You're going to have another little shedder around the house. Well, they'll be in the uh, hospital that time, so I don't have to deal oh, with yeah. that. That's true. You'll never see hide nor hair oh. of the Lanugo. My apologies. Um, it says such hair can be more abundant and will last longer in a premature baby mm. and may already be gone in an overdue one. Mm, All right. That so makes sense. Lanugo. Nice. Now, let's get on to number three. Um, this one was shocking to me personally. Hmm. Anyone who knows me knows that I have problems with the sight of blood. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, no. I guess not anyone who knows me then. Uh, it says <laughs> handling the sight of blood. This is a section in the book. The basic advice is that there's not that much blood. Um, you know, it's sort of, it's definitely hmm. a, a shocking major physical event that happens, childbirth, obviously. Right. But it's not like, uh, it's not like Rambo or anything. It's like just sort of. <laughs> First know, blood. Yeah, that would have been a better reference. God, you scooped me on the, on the reference. Um, yeah, it says uh, in the book here, there typically isn't very much blood to see. And um, mm. another reason not to be too worried about it is the excitement and wonder of watching your baby arrive is likely to keep you very much preoccupied, both mother and father. So, you know, the enormity of the moment, if I may misuse the word enormity, um, it's like it's overrides that sort of sense. But yeah. I would challenge <clears throat> the author, Miss Heidi Murkoff, that she doesn't know me and my history with <laughs> passing out routinely and needing to oh, lie really? down at the at the bare mention of blood. Uh, wow. In so many instances in my life. Like so, even like just getting shots and needles when a little blood oh, comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so many stories. Our huh. podcast episode here is only so long, but um, <laughs> I, you know, once I went to to donate blood, the problem was when I was 17 years old, I donated blood, no problem. And huh. that set up this wrong-headed belief in my mind that, oh yeah, no big deal, I can do it. And from the second time I went to donate blood, it was just pass out, pass out, lose consciousness, dry heaving, lay down on the bed. Wow. And yeah. Like flocks of nurses coming over trying to revive me. And oh, this uh, was a tactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> um, and uh, even once, you know, sometimes before you donate blood, they'll prick your finger to check, like, uh, I guess the hmm. iron level of your blood to make sure you're fine to actually donate. I've oh, passed okay. out on the finger prick before. Like just sitting in a chair, finger prick, lose consciousness. I've never and, donated uh, blood, so this is all new to me. Oh, yeah. Well, not, um, not to say that I'm not a nice person who would donate blood, but I have tattoos and every place mm. I've attempted to do it, they've always told me no. Oh, yeah. In America as well? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if my history of tattoos ever came into play or if I, if I were waved through or something. I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, all the times I've tried and then it's even, it's gotten worse as the years have gone by. Um, I was at the eye doctor once and the eye doctor said, okay, to do this test, we're going to have to blow a gust of wind into your eye. Oh no. Oh, and I no. said, I've got to lie down. <laughs> I mean, just the bare thought of some like needle shaped thing, like close encounters of the third kind, like approaching my eyeball and then shooting air into it. Oh, uh, no. It just, I had to lie down in the eye doctor's office, uh, nearly passed out. And he was laughing at me. And I was like, oh, what dude, a dick. 
This is serious. <laughs> this is serious trouble for me. All right, we're uh, getting into happened. my phobia now. <laughs> oh yeah, close encounters of the third kind, like eye probing. I yeah, there's no way I can't even put eye drops in my eyes. Like oh, Moy, Moy laughs at me because I'm <laughs> terrible. I miss my eye every time. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, it's your last second defense mechanism. Your yeah. head just dodges out of the just way. Just like no nope, drop, no nope, get away. Yeah, I get that, man. Um, it like. Uh, one time I was in the supermarket and I picked up a, a meat thermometer, you know, like that you stab yeah. into a turkey. It's a bit sharp on one end. Yeah. And when I picked it up, it, the sharp end of the meat thermometer kind of like stabbed my thumb and I had to sit down in the aisle. <laughs> I almost passed out in the aisle because I touched the sharp end of a meat thermometer. It's like oh, a very, wow. very delicate situation I've got wow. going on here. And I don't let, I should be clear. I don't fear any of this stuff. Like I right. acknowledge it's a when I physiological yeah. response to yeah. just seeing or yeah. thinking about it, I guess thinking about it. If I think about it too intently, I'll get about like 90% conscious, you know, just thinking wow. about the, the situation. But when I go to the doctor, I'm like, yeah, the doctor's going to help me. I know that giving the blood will help him help me. I want to mm. do it. Let's do it. And then the needle comes out and I'm like, I'll see you later. And I just, you know, I'm out, just totally out. And the body wow. just shuts down, can't handle it. So uh, that's that's a horrible, horrible situation. But um, I had harbored a lot of fears about this. Right. When, uh, you know, the pregnancy was happening and I thought, oh, being in the room, it seems like a lot of things could trigger me passing out in the room, which you hear about sometimes. And, mm -hmm. you know, suddenly you've got now a second medical team helping the father while the first medical team births the baby. Right. And uh, I thought that'll happen to me for sure. No way around it. And then um, thank God for coronavirus. It came and just <laughs> the only person happy about this. <laughs> yeah, it came and saved me. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, that was a little bit of a load off knowing that um, right. I wouldn't have to be in there because I just knew it was not going to pan out and that there would be like a slight medical emergency with a lot of nurses worried about me. And um, I think it saved us a lot of trouble. My wife would have it hmm. that I'm in the room helping and I would have tried. Uh, I was willing to try, but I knew it was going to go bad. But then sort of Corona came and then like took me out of the equation. So it really solved the problem for us. Yeah. I wonder, like, I know America, like they kind of let the dads do both sides of the curtain, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I kind of assume in Japan, like they keep the dads on the, the top end of the curtain. Yeah, I bet it's a bit more controlled, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. And now they don't even let us in there, so. Yeah. Oh, God, and cutting the cord, like, in America, it's like opening a bank or something, you know? It's like, oh, come yeah. cut the cord. But um, I, I don't know if they do that in Japan. I have no idea. I mean, right now they don't because nobody's allowed in the room. Right. But uh, at least at a bigger hospital. Um, I wouldn't even attempt it. Oh, I mean, no? that. Yeah, I, if they handed me the scissors and said, cut this weird fleshy, organy thing, there's yeah. no chance. Yeah, just thinking about it makes me cringe a little. Yeah, it would put me down for the count, no doubt. Okay. Uh, but the What to Expect When You're Expecting book is like way optimistic about it. It's like, oh, you're going to mm. be overcome with happiness at the miracle of life and you, you'll forget your decades of losing consciousness. And I just, yeah. I don't know if it would override for me. Well, they have to. I mean, yeah, yeah. Keep it positive, their, and their whole spiel is like being positive, and yeah. And it could be a little bit of a psychosomatic thing, like they convince you that mm -hmm. you won't have a problem, and you won't have a problem. Yeah. But um, anyway, so number three, blood that really stood out to me. Gotcha. Let's go on to number two, crazy thing that I learned from this book. Hmm. It's something called the vacuum delivery. <laughs> And I'm not talking about when you've ordered your Dyson and it arrives at your front door. I'm talking about delivering a baby with a like vacuum attached suction cup that pops onto the top of their head and just pulls them right out. Um, this must be a skit in a comedy show. Like, there's yeah. no way. <laughs> it's funny because I don't know if you've seen... Um, like athletes these days, if you noticed in the Olympics or if you notice any NBA player, they have all oh. these circular bruises on their shoulders and arms and stuff. Right. Cupping. And it's the, 
process of cupping yeah and it's essentially the same thing it's like a little plasticky cup mm. that you know creates a vacuum and they'll pop one of those on the baby's head like it's first yamaka and <laughs> like turn on the gentle suction they're careful to say and then sort of pull the baby out and you can get a bit of bruising or swelling on the head uh, where the suction cup was attached, just like those basketball players with the circular bruises and stuff. Yeah. But it goes away. And it's seen in some ways to be gentler than forceps. It's a bit of a forcep alternative. I mean, they both seem pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. The forceps being the big, like clampy, scissory things that go on either side of the baby's head and, yeah. and pull them out that way. And I, I've read that the forceps are actually a bit worse for the mother. Because you've got to, you know, obviously insert the forceps. You and get them be, in, yeah. Yeah, tearing and discomfort there, uh, which is also horrifying and putting me off. It just doesn't uh, seem like the skin of the baby is strong enough yeah. to put this like suction on and then pull. That's what I would have thought. But apparently it's, um, it's relatively common. And huh. um, they said that it's useful if, for example it's been a long labor and the mother's fully exhausted and then can't push like at the moment of truth. And so they'll need a bit of assistance, which is, I think where forceps come into play as well. Uh, but the, um, the vacuum delivery is another option. Uh, it says, and again, this is probably like Western based, um, you know, numbers and percentages. It says vacuum extraction is used in about 5% of deliveries and offers Hmm. a good alternative to both forceps and cesarean section under the right circumstances. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's just another way to get the little fella out of there. That's higher than I would have expected. Five percent. Yeah, five. I mean, I had never heard of vacuum delivery. Yeah. Um, by the way, the thing is called, in English, it's called the ventuse. Ventuse. Uh, the ventuse, I believe, is the um, the vacuum suction device that they use. So it says... Um, That's a better name than the suck cut. Yeah. yeah. The uh, Floby Jr., if I may. <laughs> um, why would the doctor use a ventuse during delivery is the question. So you might hear that out there. Hmm. I had no idea that there was such thing as a vacuum extractor. Nope, and I was neither. shocked to see it. Let's get on to number one. This is the... Uh, number one, shocking, surprising thing I learned today while flipping through what to expect when you're expecting, and it is crying. And crying thinking, just in general? Yeah, crying. <laughs> like um, This is a note for the fathers. You may notice a lot of your own crying. Uh, oh. No, this is, it's just, um, uh, you might think crying. Yeah, babies cry. That's what they do. But remember, we're in the ninth month of pregnancy chapter here, and the heading says, babies crying already? The most joyous sound a new parent hears is that first cry the baby makes after he or she is born. But would you believe that your little one is already crying inside you, if silently? It's true. According to researchers who found that third trimester fetuses show crying behaviors, for example, quivering chin, open mouth, deep inhalations and exhalations, and startle responses when a loud noise and vibration were sounded near the mom's tummy. I don't know if that's a full sentence, what I just read, but I I think it's fine. Hmm. It's known that the crying reflex is well-developed even in premature infants, so it's it's not surprising that babies are perfecting this skill long before they're ready to emerge, and it explains why they're so good at crying once they come out. So I guess just like, you know, musculature and like the you know practicing the the crying reflex is Hmm. happening like from not day one but like from day negative 60 or something like the baby's going through the the crying motions and uh something about a baby crying like inside the mother it's just like sounds like a moment in a like a horror thriller suspense movie or something like rosemary's well, baby style or something i don't, I don't know, know just those, so that away. didn't occur to me yeah it's <laughs> but it did seem a, like very sad it makes yeah it feels sad yeah to think about. i guess it's you know it's the baby's only form of communication so it's got to be good at it from the get-go mm. and they'll just need to to be able to cry it's like if the baby needed to walk on day one, it would probably be, you know, doing a lot more leg exercises in there. It wouldn't skip leg day in the womb. Is that what deer do? They're just in there? I don't know. That's a good question. Because they come uh, out yeah. walking. They basically yeah. walk out. 
they basically <laughs> walk out and uh, a giraffe on the savannah. What are you going to do? You're just going to lay there and be hyena food. You, yeah. you got to get up. You got to run. You got to yeah. go for it. So, um, yeah, some things need it. And what human babies need is like the alarm system ready to go. Right. So, um, yeah, I guess they're uh, they're practicing up. Hmm. Anyway, those were the top five shocking things I learned today. That's a good list. I didn't know most of those either. So thank you. Good info. Well, hmm. um, I believe that wraps up our segment time and uh, we can move on to my question for you is excellent. You have something today? Yes. And as always, I'll preface my question for you is with a lengthy story. Okay. Uh, not lengthy, but um, my, I had a friend uh, who I worked with years ago and she had just had a child and um, she was handing off the cell phone to the child as soon as she could, you know, from the very oh. beginning, like f- however many kind months like old. A, a pacifier. Well, a bit, but it was somewhat more calculated than that. Um, her thinking was, this is the digital age. And mm. we want our kid to be a full-fledged digital native. And the more like instilled, like sort of the touchscreen and like how, you know, these devices work, then the better suited that child will be when he grows up to be like sort of fluent in digital things. And then, you know, it'll help him understand computers earlier and that sort of thing. Yep. And um, my counter argument to that was like, yeah, but those devices are often programmed for like immediate gratification, whatever the the game is he's playing or whatever he's doing. And it's like this light up thing in your face. And my concern would be that the kid doesn't have enough downtime to develop other things like, you know, patience or like being bored or whatever, if he's just always entertained by this thing. And then that would have a greater negative effect than the positive effect of him being like a full on digitally experienced child going through school. And that was the discussion we had. So my question for you is, which side of that do you come down on? I'd say I'm firmly on the get them as used to technology as I can as early on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've already actually been doing research on like, um, are you familiar with STEM? S-T-E-M? Mm-hmm. So they have a bunch of STEM toys that you can get for kids at different stages to kind of help with their development towards getting them more into like sciences and programming and that kind of thing. So I've been doing a lot of research on that stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm going <clears> to, <throat> and some of the toys I've I've been looking at for infants is like, you know, they're not like cell phones basically, but it kind of emulates that idea of, you know, app functioning. Mm-hmm just to kind of get them used to it. So when they're out there, you know, it's, it's a little easier and it's not like a shock, like, Oh my God, I have a cell phone. I'm going to stay on this thing 24 hours a day. It's more like they're going to get a cell phone. Oh, cool. I know how that works. And then I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. I guess my concern about it is more um, like if you're curating it properly and you're, you know, buying the certain toy that helps them understand something like a, I mean, and of course we're, you know, in the market now we're talking about like a child who's a few weeks or a few months old, but this would carry on for the first several years. But if you're getting them some toy that helps them understand how a computer works, but you know, that being distinct from the full on hyper addictive, like endorphin rush app that you can't put down. um, That's like, I think a big gulf between those two things. Right. It is. I I would definitely agree. And I'm not going to sit there and, um, you know, hand my kid the phone and put on like Candy Crush. Is that even, is that a thing anymore? That might still be a thing. I don't know. <laughs> it might be. Anyway, that was, Question. that was the big thing in the decade that I remember. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. That's not going to be a solution for me. It's more going to be calculated. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. Um, I am loosely planning uh, to get into a certain subscription, uh, which might be similar to what you're talking about which I think is called KiwiCo. Have you heard of KiwiCo? No. It's like they develop these toys 
and things for kids to build. And they, uh, you can sign up with KiwiCo and they'll deliver. This is not a paid advertisement, by the way. Nothing is. Um, <laughs> but they will mail you, and it is available in Japan. Uh, they'll mail you, even from the first few months of the child's life, uh, like every couple of months, a box with something to put together, whether it's a little wooden toy where, you know, this part goes into this other part and it helps them understand this kind of spatial visualization stuff. Or as time oh. goes by, it's like a battery powered little machine that the kid has to build. And it's a good like parent child activity to build it together. And um, KiwiCo's angle is uh, exactly what you're talking about. If you look hmm. it up, it says like um, empowers kids to explore, create and learn with hands on uh, kits delivered monthly. KiwiCo delivers STEM, STEAM, science, and art kits that provide serious fun and hands-on learning and this sort of thing. So um, I've really been interested in KiwiCo. I learned about it a few years ago, and um, I thought, yeah, from the beginning, I think I would like a subscription to those guys. So Yeah, dude, um, I'm going to totally look that up and get that. Yeah, uh, and all the toys seem to be pretty cool, and they, you know, it's something to look forward to in the mail when the kid gets a bit older. And uh, something to play with, something to learn with, all sounds good. Um, and it would be nice to hear from somebody who's actually used KiwiCo. I've only ever heard about it in the abstract or seen it advertised, but um, I would like to hear from someone. So hit us up on Twitter, friends, if you're a KiwiCo user. Do you know how much it is and kind of what they offer for what you're paying for? Pricing question is a little um, complicated, like anything that you sign up for service-wise, and um on KiwiCo, they have different what are called crates, and uh, they're for different ages. So Panda Crate is for zero up to two years. Koala Crate is ages two to four. Kiwi Crate is five to eight. And it uh, goes on. Um, they have the Maker Crate, which is ages 14 to 100. And the Eureka <laughs> Crate is ages 14 to 100 as well. So if you're over <laughs> 100, they've got nothing for you. Um, but yeah, there are different crates for the different age groups. And uh, price-wise, it depends on how many of them you want and if you pay for more at once it's obviously a bit cheaper but in general uh you can expect to pay at the low end like 15 dollars a month at the high end maybe 30 dollars per month and you'll get like the monthly you know activity or toy or whatever to build so every month they're going to send you this stuff to do for that age group uh yes i believe and it could change you know depending on age and depending on the whatever right. you sign up for but um does it go up as you get older i assume the crates get more technical and maybe more cost costly they may um it's hard to dive into their pricing structure without uh you know gotcha. signing up and going ahead and registering but the max that i'm seeing is like 30 dollars yeah uh, that's kind of what i'm seeing too yeah, per month. So it's reasonable. I mean, you get like a little project out of it every time. 3,000 yeah. yen every month for some creative thing. I guess it yeah. seems worth it. I mean, I don't know that I would spend 3,000 yen a month on toys, but I might. I don't know. For me, it's like the experience of the kid getting something in the mail and then being excited about it. And then it's the project time. And then you yeah. wind up with the toy in the end. And I think the yeah. whole long and short of it for you know three at the max might be 20 bucks to 30 bucks i think that's worth it yeah it seems at least worth it for a little while to try out yeah for sure so KiwiCo, there's a long free ad for them everybody go check it out and <laughs> it is available in japan so go for it gang nice. uh cool well yeah i think things like that to sort of yeah. bring it all back around to the question of the day stuff like that is prepping a kid to be ready yeah. for the world that awaits him. But then stuff like handing the phone to the kid and saying like, I'm prepping the kid to get used to phones. It's like, uh, I think you might be costing the kid a bit more in that no, exchange. Because in that case, you're usually just putting on like YouTube or something and saying, okay, yeah. just calm down. Yeah. Which exactly. I don't think is quite the same. Mm -hmm. I think that's more of like the pacifier action at that point. Yeah. Or they get into like some, like wildly addictive um, side scroller game or whatever. And it's not really doing much for them. Right. Um, like angry birds. Yeah. Of course I'm a, you know, child who was raised on the original Mario, which was a wildly addictive side scroller, but not on your phone. Yeah. Not on the phone. That's true. I had to set aside time. I had to turn on the TV. It was uphill both ways. It was hard. That's right. There was power buttons on both machines. Yeah, you couldn't save progress. If you had to leave the house, you'd have to leave it on pause for hours at a time. 
He's, this is how the pioneers played Nintendo. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with our Japanese of the day. Excellent. Uh, so Japanese of the day today, um, this is very applicable to us. The word is Sakago. 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 No idea. I don't think I've ever heard that word. Uh, this word means a breech baby or a breech birth or just the concept of breech in general. Hmm. And um, I like when I study some kanji characters over the years and then studying like child-related vocab or whatever, those kanji characters come back. And I've known the kanji character for the Saka part for a long time, which means like reverse or against or something to hmm. like be in opposition to something or to reverse. Right. And then the go is the same as ko, which is child. So it kind of breaks down to mean a reverse child. And that hmm. is your soccer go. And it means your baby is in a breach position. So interesting. It's the Japanese of the day. Nice. Have a good time with that, everybody. <laughs> And uh, I think that brings us to the wrap-up. Well, I do have some jokes. Oh, my goodness. How dare I forget the jokes. Dad joke time. Dad joke time. Okay, I don't think you're going to get these. I think I found some in the vein that you're not familiar with or not interested in. Okay, pressure's on. (laughs) Yep. How did Darth Vader know what Luke got him for Father's Day? Oh, how did Darth Vader know what Luke got him for Father's Day? I mean, it's not just like the Force or something. It's like got to be cleverer than that. He, he, I don't know. I have no idea. He felt the presence. (laughs) Okay. okay. (laughs) I get it. Okay. I got another one. What did Obi-Wan say to Luke? When he kept dropping his food. <laughs> okay. Obi-Wan. Uh, oh, okay. I got this one. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an answer. I hope this is the right answer. Use the fork, Luke. God damn it. <laughs> is that it? That is it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Good, good, uh, good. Nice. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> well done. Um, oh, okay, so I'm going to counter your uh, Star Wars related dad jokes, which I don't understand with chess related dad jokes. Because uh, okay, that's perfect. Right up in my alley. So um, first chess related dad joke here. Uh, where's the best place to learn how to play chess? The best place to learn how to play chess. I mean, even in real life, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? Uh, night school. Boom! That's quality. Okay. That's good Very stuff. nice. Okay, let me get one more. Okay, what do you call your friend in Prague who you like to play chess with? A friend in Prague? I don't know anything about Prague. Is this Prague related? <laughs> it is. It's, it's somewhat Prague related. That's essential. Okay, well, I I, I don't know. He's, uh, he's your checkmate. Oh my god. <laughs> That's good old-fashioned chess humor. Uh, Not hurting anybody. That's great. Having a good time. Having a good time. (laughs) Well, that'll bring us to a close here. Um, We'd like to thank everyone for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. And we will talk to you next time. Be good to your checkmate. Later.